So in order to make Ronnie happy, I um, decided not to bring my iPad today and to use my Bible. Actually, my iPad was dead, and so I had to bring my Bible. But to be a little bit rebellious, I brought the New American Standard. And, and so I'm actually going to be going back and forth between the New American Standard and the, the ESV. So just in case you're wondering what I'm reading out of, um, a, little bit, a little bit of both. Um, so continuing on in Habakkuk, and again, this is, this is new grounds for us as a, as a church um, where Justin and I are, are preaching through a book together. And so we picked, again, something short to kind of start with and, and something from the Old Testament. So, so it's to really challenge ourselves. Um, yeah, let's... That was off. Um, so what I'm going to do is, and I think we'll probably do this every week or every month as we as we do this, is probably kind of give a little bit of summary of where we were the last time, leading into where we are today. One that will help refresh the memories of those of us who were here. So it was just last week. But if you weren't here last week, again, might give you a little bit of context of where we're at. So um, I'm going to read Habakkuk um, one through four, which was where Justin preached out of last week. And then verses 5 through 11 is, is where I'm going to be today. Habakkuk um, 1, 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. So again, reviewing last week, Habakkuk is in great distress over Judah's, right, Israel's, Sin, right? Think nationally, their sin. Israel is a wayward and a wicked nation, and this has greatly distressed Habakkuk. And to that extent, we we should, right, be able to relate with that and to that as as believers, as we see either national sin or personal sin. You know what I mean by national sin, right? Just the collective of the people, right? Um, when we see sin around us, it, it, should, it should distress us greatly. It should grieve us, and it should grieve us because we know that it grieves God, right? And so to that extent, we, we can, as believers anyway, and we should be able to relate and identify with, Habakkuk, with how Habakkuk feels. But the problem with Habakkuk, right, is that and how he responds to God. He's not thinking right, with his mind or his intellect, right? but he's thinking with his emotions. So his emotions are right, and then he's distressed and grieved over, over this sin. Right? And yet he moves from that point in thinking with his mind to thinking with those emotions. And in doing so, he accuses God of inaction, right? uh, maybe absenteeism. Um, not having a plan, not doing anything about it. Um, he's not really questioning God's method, right? So much as he, I think in part, is questioning his, his ruler, his sovereignty. Now, I don't know that, that Habakkuk actually thought, all right, I don't think God's sovereign, right? But that's what's coming out. That's what his, his, his emotions are, are leading him to this. And this is a dangerous place when we think with our emotions, right? Jeremiah 17, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9:17. the heart is deceitful. 
desperately sick, right? We cannot trust our emotions. As Justin was preaching through this last week, I, I, I was thinking about Habakkuk. I really hadn't started studying, at least for this week. And, and I'm thinking, have you forgotten Joseph? Right? I mean, he sees this wickedness around him, and he's like, where is God? You're not doing anything. What's your problem? And I'm thinking, Habakkuk, you surely remember Joseph, right? Who was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? Who was uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, who wound up in, in prison, right? I mean, where was God during that time? We know where God was. God was working for the salvation, if you will, uh, physically of Israel, right? Which would ultimately lead to the salvation of all whom God would save because he was preserving his people from whom his Messiah would come. What about Joseph? Habakkuk, have you, have you forgotten have you forgotten Joseph, right? What about the judges? I mean, this is what I'm thinking as Justin's preaching, and, and I'm thinking about Habakkuk's response to God. Do you not remember this, this, this period of the judges, right, where Israel would sin, God would give them over to their sin and would judge them via a wicked nation typically, and then God would raise up a judge to lead, redeem, restore Israel, Israel would repent, and then the cycle would start all over again. But through that period of the judges, God was working in the midst of, in spite of, and through Israel's wickedness. Have, have, you, have you forgotten Habakkuk, the, the, the period of the judges? Right. What about Job? So this was the one that really got me as I was thinking about Habakkuk in this, right? Um, so, so Job, right, Job's sin, um, just kind of quick right, recall, um, Ultimately, I think, was his self-righteousness. Right? We know up until a certain point, as, as um, Job was being tested, Job was upright and was righteous and hadn't sinned in, in and through all of this. And then as you progress, right, he ends up sinning, right? And, and, and his sin um, is this self-righteousness, right? Well, I am a, a righteous person, so why is God doing this to, to one who is righteous like me, essentially? Basically, he accuses God of injustice and his self-righteousness. Right? And we all know what, what God's um, response to Job was, right? The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? And, and as Habakkuk's kind of asking the question of God, I'm thinking, Do you not remember Job? Right? Surely he would have remembered Job because Job happened way, 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 way before you know, this period in Israel's history. So surely Habakkuk... New Job. So God is always in charge. Habakkuk knew that God was sovereign. And Habakkuk, with his mind, knew that God was, was always in charge and that nothing happens outside of God's will. But in his distress, right, and, and rightful distress, Habakkuk allowed his emotions right, to get the better of him. And he responded to God out of emotion and not out of intellect. So that's, that's verses 1 through 4. And Justin did a much better job kind of going through that last week. But just as a, as a summary, which brings us now to verses um, 5 through 11, which is God's response to Habakkuk. And we're going to look at verse 5, right? And this is God's plan, okay? And then um, plan to discipline and or punish, if you will. And then verses 6 through 11 is, is dealing with God's means of, of discipline or punishment. Um, verse 5, God responds to Habakkuk. 
And he says, look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. I think this is a, a part of rebuke, right? Um, I, as I was going through the commentaries, it was kind of a mix. Some were like, Habakkuk didn't do anything wrong, which I'm like, I think he did. He accused the sovereign God of all creation of of inaction, of not doing anything, of just kind of idly sitting by and letting things happen, right? Being uh, out of out of control. And I think God's response in verse 5 makes it clear that he's he's fixing to put Habakkuk in his place as he's fixing to put Israel or Judah in their place for their for their sin. Because God has never right ceased at working things out. Right? He hadn't just wound the clock up and let it go, right? God's sovereignty and his reign and his rule never ceases. God has always been and always will be in control. And everything that happens, happens in accordance with God's will. Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We understand that God's talking about salvation here. He's, 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 he's dressing his people, election, predestination, all of that. But he says, having predestined according to the purpose of him who, what, who works all things. So specifically here, he's talking about salvation, but he's also talking about all things. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. So in this period that, that Habakkuk is completely and, and totally just distraught over and by, God has not ceased to be God. God, God is, is working and God has been working and what is happening and what has happened in Judah is happening according to God's plan and God's will. He could have prevented Judah's sin, right? But in his permissive will, he allowed, didn't, didn't force the nation to sin, right? He just stepped back and gave them the desires of their heart could have disciplined the nation long before this point. Right? He could have he could have sent revival, if you will, by whatever means that that, that he would have or could have chosen to do that. Right? But again, according to his perfect plan, he had not. God's plan was ultimately utter devastation for Israel. God was going to use an even more wicked nation to punish Judah or, or Israel. When I say Judah, just so we're, we know we're clear, we're not talking about like, like, like Judah as in an individual. We're talking about the tribe of Judah. We're talking about national Israel at this time. Um, And he was going to do so much so that the people couldn't even comprehend what he was about to do. Again, what did he say in verse 5? He said, I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if I were to have told you. And he he was speaking here both to Habakkuk 
and as as well as as the nation of Israel at this point. Psalm one fifteen one through three says, "Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and He does all He pleases. What pleased God in this moment in history was to discipline." punish Judah and was to use a wicked nation to do so. Now, I can imagine at this point, again, I'm trying to think about Habakkuk, right? And last week, I'm putting my mind, myself in his shoes and I'm thinking, don't forget the Job and, 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 and the judges. And at this point, I'm thinking, is Habakkuk like crawfishing? Like, you know what I'm saying? By, by crawfishing, like, he, where are you, God? What's, what's, what's your problem? Over? Right? I mean, this, where you been? You're not doing anything. And God says, buddy, hang on. Because I'm about to do something and to deal with this and to deal with you in a way that you wouldn't even believe. And now Habakkuk's probably like, well, hold on now. No, 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 no need to go to extreme measures. I was just thinking like you could, you know, gently discipline the nation. I mean, I don't know if this is what Habakkuk had thought, but God's response was a response of rebuke. You know, it's one of those things I was thinking, oh, my back up, be careful what you wish for because it's fixing to come and it's not going to be pleasant. I think God allows whatever he allows and he does whatever he does or he doesn't do whatever he doesn't do for his glory and for the good of his children. Right? We aren't owed an explanation, you know, um, what God was doing in Judah, right? Which, which appeared to be nothing to Habakkuk. Habakkuk wasn't, wasn't owed an explanation as to what God was doing or not doing. Habakkuk wasn't owed an explanation as, as to what God was, was going to do, right? And, and, and the same is true for us, right? We're not owed any explanation by God about anything that he has done or that he is going to do. Right? We're not even allowed to see any, anything, I mean, we're not owed the right anyway, to see anything even come to fruition. And I was thinking about this in, in, in Joseph's life, right? And, and trying to connect the two, you know, with, with Habakkuk, right? Um, had Habakkuk died before this point, you know, on his deathbed, he would have died thinking that, that God wasn't working things out, that God had no plan, right? That he was just whatever, sitting idly by letting Judah destroy, destroy itself. Yet we know, looking back right through Scripture, that God was, was working to fulfill all of his, his purposes. So I was thinking about that in the relation of Joseph. You know, was, was there anybody in Joseph's life that probably never saw um, any of God's plan come to fruition? I'm sure there was. I mean, I don't know anyone that I could name particularly. But I reckon there was somebody in Joseph's life that maybe saw his testimony and his witness while he was in prison and thought, this poor, sorry fella whose God has abandoned him. You know, one, I'm not so sure about his God, if this is how his God, God treats him. Two, I mean, surely his God doesn't have a plan for his life because if he did, he surely wouldn't be in, in, in this place. I mean, what kind of God is, is, is in charge of his servant? being thrown in prison for what purpose is that? And then the guy dies, right? Or whatever happens, the person's, the person's gone. And that person never saw God's plan, right, come to fruition. 
But again, us looking back, I mean, we can see that God was was actively working in Joseph's circumstances, right? I mean, from 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 the very moment, well, again, there was never not a time in, I hate to say history, in eternity past, that, that, that this plan for Joseph and God's redemption through Israel, if you will, physical redemption and spiritual redemption that would come through Christ, there was never a time in history that this wasn't a part of God's plan, right? And God used wicked and sinful men, right, to bring about his purposes. It didn't make God the author of their sin or their wickedness, right? But God used those things to bring about his plan and his purposes. Um, Again, God does what he does, doesn't do what he doesn't do according to his will, which is perfect. And God will accomplish everything that he sets out to accomplish. God is faithful to do so. Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is what? says all his work is done in faithfulness because God is faithful, right, he can be trusted. And because he can be trusted, as believers, we must trust him. Was it Spurgeon said, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart, right? So in this moment that Habakkuk is thinking with his emotions and not his mind, he's not trusting God who is faithful, but he's given into his, his despair, if you will. I think about that with with Habakkuk. I mean, if God had been faithful throughout history up to this point, then what would have made Habakkuk think that God wasn't at work? Again, it was his emotional thinking. And the same thing for us, right? If God has proven himself, not that he has to, but he has, right? I mean, could we all agree that God has proven himself to be faithful? God has proven himself that he is a faithful God, right? And we have his word demonstrating that. And if he has proven himself to be faithful, then he's done so over and over and over again. What makes people today think and or act like God is not in control and that God is not at work? And I think that, that when we can separate our emotions from our intellect, it's easy to say that, right, Darren? We've had conversations about stuff like this. That, well, I know this with my mind, right? Intellectually speaking, yes, I know that God is, God is in control and, and that everything that happens happens according to his plan and his purposes and his will, which is, which is perfect. And there's nothing outside the scope of his, of his sovereignty. I know that. I know it to be true. Don't doubt it for a minute. I'll take it to my grave. And yet stuff happens in life or the threat of stuff happening in life right, drives us to respond in ways, anyway, with our words or with our actions that are contrary to what we just proclaimed to be true, right? I know that we can trust God, but I'm really worried about these North Koreans. You know what I'm saying, right? Oh, I know that God's sovereign and he's in control and nothing will happen, 
um, outside of his control. But, but what should we do about these North Koreans or the president or w- whatever the case is, right? So, again, intellectually, we affirm one thing. And I think oftentimes we, uh, in our emotional thinking, right, we actually respond in a way that is opposite to what we know to be true. Right? There's, there's often a disconnect right, between what we know and how we act or what we say. I once, I, I remember, it's funny, there's certain things that you experience in life that you can remember, like, the details of. Like, I know where I was when that happened, right? And so this is probably a weird one. Like, how do you remember that? But I was, I was driving, I was in my old Ford Ranger, and I was driving home from work, and I was passing Walmart on Lonnie Abbott, right at the stop sign across from, you know, between the car dealership and Walmart. And I'd flip through the, the radio, and it was like Bot Radio Network or one of the Christian talk stations. And Adrian Rogers was, was preaching. Now, Adrian Rogers uh, was Baptist pastor, uh, church in Memphis, right? I think that's right. And he was also a one-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he was talking about the sovereignty of God, right, in this, in this sermon. And um, he was talking about the bad things that happen in life to people. And he said that God is not in control or sovereign over the bad stuff that happens. And it's never right to say that it was God's will that this, this happened or that it happened in accordance to God's will. I, I remember just thinking I wanted to crash my truck into something, which is probably why I remember that experience, because I just wanted to, like, drive into something, um, just because I was, like, ah, so frustrated. And when he said that... I. I first thought was, what kind of God is this that's not sovereign over everything? Right? I mean, a God who's not sovereign over everything is not sovereign over anything. I'm going to say that again. A God who is not sovereign over everything is not sovereign over anything. And it was kind of the same thing with Habakkuk. When, 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 I, when I heard him say this, I'm, I'm like, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the scriptures? Again, what about what about Joseph, right? Joseph had a pretty rotten deal. I mean, I think all of us would say, yeah, he got hosed by his brothers, right? Thrown into a well in the desert and then sold to the Midianite traders. And then, oh, he, he looks good for Joseph, right? Potiphar's house is doing well, and then he's accused of an inappropriate relationship with his wife, and he's thrown in jail. I mean, this is, this is a bad deal for Joseph. Right, and this is a, as bad as anything bad that could happen to a righteous person now, right? Well, God couldn't have been in control of that because it was bad stuff happening. But yet, what did Joseph say at the end of all of it? What you meant for evil, talking to his brothers, he said, "God, God meant for good." What Joseph was saying is, God was in control of this the entire time, and everything that happened to me, right, the bad and the good, everything that has happened to me has happened according to God's plan, God's perfect will for my life. And it wasn't just for me. I mean, I was just a small piece in the puzzle, right? I mean, God was doing what he was doing ultimately for his glory and for the sake of all who he would, would save, right? Again, what about, the, what about the judges, Adrian? Right? God would never allow you know, evil to happen according to his will. But yet he did, didn't he? Right? And they sinned. He allowed this evil nation or these evil nations to come in and rout Israel for the purpose of raising up a judge 
that would lead to their repentance. And it happened time and time again. What about Christ? I mean, that's the one that always gets me, right? I mean, God would never... I mean, anytime something bad happens, it's not, it's not God's will. And yet it was the Father's will to crush him, right? Everything that happened to Christ happened in accordance with God's perfect will. So, so then, are we to believe that the only times that God is sovereign over bad things is when the scriptures say God was in control? No, it's ridiculous. What kind of consistency would, I mean, what kind of consistent God would that be? There would, I mean, absolutely not. God has demonstrated in his word that he is sovereign over everything and that everything that happens, happens in accordance with his will. Again, this doesn't make God God responsible for sin or for evil. We're not going to dive into that today. That would, we'll let Ronnie tackle that one, right? But no, God is not the author of sin, right? But God uses sin sinlessly to accomplish all that He purposes. So God tells Habakkuk, He says, "Hold on." He says, "You accuse me of inaction." Just watch and look at the nations and see what I am about to do. Verse 6 of Habakkuk 1, he says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. They're, I mean, this is, listen, this is terrifying, right? They are a absolute, I mean, like, like Judah at this time, I mean, is a godless nation, right? I mean, yeah, they have, I mean, I mean, there is a remnant and there always has been a remnant, I mean, in, in Israel of God's like elect, right? But nationally, Judah is, 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 is godless, but yeah, I mean, they got this history with God, right? But he's saying the Chaldeans, the Babylonians that are going to come rout you, like they don't know me, right? They don't know anything about me, their laws, their system, how they do what they do is rooted in their own wicked, evil devices, right? It's coming. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings. And rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap of rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But, he says, they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. So God was going to choose a nation as an instrument of justice, if you will, against Israel. And this is just like God, isn't it? I mean, we, we, historically, we could say this is just like God, right? 
he used Israel as a tool of justice, which I kind of find, I find, it, find it funny, ironic maybe. I mean, he said in verse 5, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. I mean, so God says, I'm, I'm going to do this, but you're not even going to believe it, right? You're mind blown at the fact that this is how I'm going to judge, judge Judah. And yet, throughout history up to this point, God has used nation to judge nation. He used Israel as a tool of justice, didn't he? He used Israel as a tool of justice against the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Ammonites, the Moabites, etc. And the list goes on. Again, the period of the judges, he used nation, right? In this case, it was evil nation or more evil nation to judge wicked Israel, right? Isaiah 10 um, Verses of 5 through 19. Woe to Assyria. He says, the rod of my anger. He's going to use them as a rod of correction towards Israel. And the staff in his hands is my indignation. I send it against the godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is purpose to destroy. It is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. For it says, are not my princes or kings is not Kono like I can't pronounce that um, or any of these. Verse 10, as my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images just as I have done to Samaria and her idols. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, by the power of my hand and by my wisdom, I did this, for I have understanding. And I removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. And like a mighty man, I brought down their inhabitants. And my hand reaches to the riches of the people like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth. And there was not one that flipped or, sorry, flapped its wing or opened its beak or chirped. Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the salt to exalt itself with the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame, and the light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and his fruitful garden, both soul and body. And it will be as when a sick man wastes away. And the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. God is saying here, right, that he is about to judge or he is judging Israel, right, with the Assyrians. And then he's going to do what? He's going to judge the Assyrians. He's going to deal with Israel first and then he's going to deal with, with the Assyrians. He says to Habakkuk, I'm going to deal with you first. And then what? And then I'm going to deal with the, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, right? Again, it's, it's, it's just like God. And again, the irony Emotional, backward, not thinking with his mind. He can't even believe that God is about to do what God says he is going to do. Right? But it's just like God to do that, right? So obviously, now looking back, right, we know that God, in fact, did what he promised he would do, right? 
He used the Babylonians to discipline Israel and to accomplish his purposes, right? Which was far much greater than just disciplining Israel, right? We have accounts of that in Jeremiah, Ezra, Habakkuk, Daniel, etc., right? We know that happened. He used the Roman Empire, and I know that, that this is, I think, implicit in Scripture, um, but he used the Roman Empire in part to punish a wayward and godless nation, right? Israel, leading up to the time of, of Christ. God, historically, has used nation to judge nation. So Habakkuk is lamenting Judah's wickedness. And God says, I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to do what I've done. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to use this other nation over here to punish you. Right? And then I'm going to deal with them. So some final final thoughts. Justin's going to pick up from here next month as, as we go forward. Um, so some things to think about from, from this text. One, when the world seems like it's falling apart around us, know that God is sovereign. Right, Habakkuk's world was falling apart around him, as far as he was concerned. Right, but God is sovereign from everlasting to everlasting. Let's look at Daniel. Daniel four. I think it was Ronnie that had had preached or taught through part of this not too long ago. At least mentioned it in one of his sermons. This was Nebuchadnezzar, right? And Verse 34, this was after Nebuchadnezzar had lost his mind and then regained his, his mind. He said, but at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For what? His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what, what have you done? And in Habakkuk's case, what have you not done? Right? I said, God is a sovereign from everlasting to everlasting, and we never have to wonder, right, where are you, God, and why aren't you working? Justin and I were talking about this the other night, and we were talking about it in relation to our, our country. Right? And I think about the issue of abortion and all the millions of lives that are, 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 are taken annually. We never have to sit back and say, where are you, God? Why aren't you, why aren't you working? Right? We live in that wayward and wicked nation that um, Habakkuk lived in. Right? God is judging this nation and God will judge this nation. Two, God still judges nations. Right? God God has historically judged nations with nations. Right? God will continue to judge nations. God will continue to judge people. Right? And I think that God will continue to judge nations with nations. Now, the difference is, 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 is I can't say specifically or biblically, right, you know, we can say that God judged Israel with the Babylonians. And I can say that because Scripture says God judged Israel with the Babylonians, right? Justin, as I as we were talking about this the other day, we're talking about World War II. I think God was judging the world through Nazi Germany, in part. 
But I can't say that like dogmatically because I don't have that written in scripture, if that makes sense, right? But I think that 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 one, what happened during World War II was a result of sin, right? We live in a fallen world where, where men do what men do, and so we understand that. But was 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 some of what happened? Did some of what happened happen specifically as a tool of judgment? I think it's very quite possible that it did, right? I mean, will God, can God still judge nations with nations? I think so. I think that's possible. Because it's what? It's just like God to do that. We have to be careful in, in, in proclaiming that that, in fact, is what it is. But, but God historically has judged nations and he's judged nations with other nations and it would be consistent of him to continue to do so. Right? One thing though, to that extent, we don't need to fear right, God's, God's punishment. Okay? Um, listen, his, his punishment um, is a good thing. Right? Because in it and through his justice, he is accomplishing all that he purposes to accomplish, which we know is for his glory, right? And it's also for the good of his, his church, right? Okay, the third kind of final thought. I had three final thoughts here, right? Um, sin will not go unpunished by God. Habakkuk felt like God was not dealing with sin, right? Um, but sin will not go Unpunished by God. He punished the Israelites, right, nationally. And then he punished the Babylonians nationally. Right? But I think the real question is, is what about you personally? Listen, those who belong to God, those who have turned from their sin and in turning from their sin have turned to Christ in faith, right, repented, we know what that means, Right? Um, those whom God loves, he does not punish. Right? He disciplines. Right? Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that, that God disciplines those he loves. And when he disciplines us, right, his goal in disciplining us is to, is to purify us. It's to bring us, if you will, back to him, closer to him, to make us more like him, to know him more, to love him more as we turn from that sin and put that sin and cast that, that sin aside, right? For those who are uh, his, he doesn't punish because Jesus was punished in our place. First Peter 3.18 says the innocent for the guilty, right? The perfect for the corrupt. Romans 8.1 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so, whether it be on some national scale, I was talking with my dad about the North Koreans not too long ago, and he tends to get a little chicken little excited on some of that stuff. The sky is falling, right? And like that, we don't, listen, if this is, if, if something happens and it's punishment from God, we don't have to fear that. It doesn't mean we not, might not like, you know, all get killed. But we don't have to fear that, right? We don't have to fear punishment from God, even if he's dealing with our, our nation. In fact, if God uses another nation or a cataclysmic 
economic event or a, a geological whatever event or whatever the case might be, as, as a tool of his justice, we don't have to fear that. doesn't mean that times might not be pleasant, right? But we don't have to fear that because we don't have to fear God because we belong to him and God does not punish those who are his, right? And if it's discipline that he's giving us, then we should actually want that and we should seek that. I mean, I think it's best just to avoid discipline altogether by avoiding sin altogether. I think we can. I was listening to Matt Chandler once and he was talking about that. And he said, I think I would rather just avoid God's discipline. And then he said, but I want to avoid it by avoiding sin altogether, right? Okay, so I'll, I'll buy that. But, but we know that as his, as his children, that if we are in sin, we should want his, his discipline. Right. But again, those of us who are in Christ, we don't, have to fear his, we don't have to fear his punishment, and we should welcome his discipline. But those who are not found in Christ, if you are not in Christ, then you should fear God's punishment. For those who are not in Christ, when they die apart from Christ, God's punishment, the full rate of his wrath, will be poured out on you. So I implore you to repent and believe and be saved. Be saved from God's impending wrath. Be saved by God's grace and mercy. Be saved to God as his possession. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for um, Lord, we thank you for Habakkuk. I know it was kind of a a difficult text for me to to go through just on some some parts. Um, trying to not really discern what, I mean, it was cut and dry, but just to discern what, what it is that you have to say to us through, through Habakkuk. And um, what I'm grateful that um, you are a just God. And I'm grateful that you're a merciful God as, as well. Lord, I thank you for your salvation, that, that Christ was punished on our behalf, that we would not be punished by you, but that we have been made your children. Lord, we know that you discipline now those who you love, and that your discipline is a good thing. And so we thank you for your loving discipline. I think it would be better if we were just kept from sin. And so I pray to that end, Lord, that you would, you would do that. And that yet when we find ourselves knee-deep in sin and wrong in our thinking and in our actions, God, I pray for your discipline. And that you would bring us to repentance. And that we would turn from that sin and, and, and turn to you, Lord. That we would know you more. That we would love you more. That our lives would completely and entirely be a reflection of your, your work in us and, and, and through us. That you would use that to magnify yourself as the gospel goes forward. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for doing for us that which we were incapable of doing for ourselves and that was appeasing 
God's righteous wrath, his, his justice that we deserve. It's in your name we pray.